We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest, DJ of Nets Republic. Guys, Nets lost to the Timberwolves tonight, 125-136. How are we feeling? Terrible. Um, that was that was a mess all around. It was terrible coaching. It was terrible fouls given up. Um, it was terrible officiating, which I know can be the case many nights, but tonight it was almost as egregious if not worse than the wizards game um and there were some terrible turnovers terrible turnovers yeah my guy dj's acting like charles barkley right now everything's terrible so i <laughs> think it's it was it literally was it was a, a pretty awful performance from the nets and i compounded by all the factors that dj the king himself just listed it was not fun but you know at least we got this uh, a therapy sesh lads a therapy sesh yeah, like you said, you know, not a fun game, a lot of terrible stuff, but we're going to jump into that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. And like you mentioned, DJ, like a lot of bad things happen this game for the Nets. Where do you want to start? We could start with the officiating. We could start with the turnovers. We could start with the coaching, or we could start with the defense. Your pick. Um, I think the, the officiating is the freshest in my mind <laughs> and what aggravated me the most. So I think we should start off there. Yeah, and obviously, you know, I mentioned this to Jack before we hopped on, like night to night. Foul calls are going to always be subjective. You're not always going to get them. Obviously, statistically, Timberwolves one of the teams that lead the league in committing fouls. Nets really didn't get to the line at all in that first half. But the thing that stick out to me is the the violations. Like they're not subjective. When you travel, no. when you double dribble, <laughs> when you get hit by a basketball, that's all things that the refs are supposed to do objectively. And they didn't do that tonight. And that's not the only reason the Nets lost this game. But that's something that was frustrating for everyone watching. I think. How are you feeling about it, DJ? Um, I, the, the number one thing, like you said, with the violations is, um, I just don't understand how you're standing right there. There's four people in this crew and you don't see Tori and Prince double dribble. You don't see guys, uh, catching their own shot. Uh, you don't see, especially one thing that was mind boggling to me was how they call the flagrant on LA for excessive contact. But I watched a play where Blake Griffin got elbowed in the mouth and Torian Prince got an N1. <laughs> and then uh, I saw Dayron drive to the hole and, you know, they did 
the little WWE and poke his eyes out and nothing called completely clean, just a brick. So um, that was great. And then you have Russ with the, the stupid hook thing that I thought they were, I thought the rules were supposed to alleviate that from being called yep. a foul. Uh, he had, I think a few three point, three point fouls on that call. Um, and then with Cat, it's just like you're seven foot and you're you're flying around the court like you're getting tossed around by six eight James Johnson and they're just giving him the benefit of the doubt. So it was absolutely horrific. And of course, the officials never have to answer for horrific performances. And other fan bases be like, "Oh, you guys are just crying because you lost." Whatever, whatever, whatever you want to say. I don't care. I know what I saw. Everybody who's going to say otherwise probably didn't even watch the game. Look, the Minnesota Timberwolves had 31 free throws. Let's put it into context. How many, Nick, how many do you think that the Brooklyn Nets had? I'm sure you got the, probably the yeah, box. Yeah, I do. I have 15. They had 15. They, they, had, they over-doubled our free throw attempts tonight, which is, yeah, look, James Harden got a few, missed a few calls, and it was probably affecting him. He probably should have played better. But the, this was a game, and, and I said to both of you guys off wax, that legitimately felt like one of the worst officiating games I have ever seen. I'm a, if I'm a teacher, this is like me killing a child while I'm at work. That's how bad it was. Like, you, it's fireable offenses. I was in like a million DMs, a million group chats with Nick and DJ, and they were going off about some of this stuff, and I think all of it is legitimate. Was it the main reason the Nets lost? Probably not, but it didn't help by any stretch of the imagination, especially when the Nets did go on little mini runs. And I think when that the referee was somehow just in the way of the basketball with the ball going out of bounds and Torian Prince gets a three, does he get like an assist for that? Like, is it the first ever assist from a referee that we've ever seen? The Nets were down by four, I believe, and they were on their run. Kyrie Irving was feeling himself, and you go that to, to seven, and then they get the momentum and ascendancy. Look, I don't think the Nets deserve to win tonight, but it doesn't make it less frustrating. Yeah, and I think, like you say, Jack, like a lot of the missed calls happened at times that just worked out really well for the Timberwolves, and it felt like every time they had a missed call, it just ended up with them getting a three, no matter what. Just the situation was just like, yeah, three points for the Timberwolves. But like you said, this wasn't the only reason they lost. I think turnovers tonight were really bad. That was just something that stuck out where, you know, 17 turnovers, and a lot of them were just unforced. Like the guys either dribbling to a spot where, you know, there's no room to operate or just not being on the same page with their teammates. So not having the ball, like not playing well defensively and then giving an offensive team that's hot like the Timberwolves extra possessions, it's going to make it tough. I mean, what do you? What was your biggest issue with the turnovers tonight, DJ? Uh, I think the timing always, like there's never a good time to have turnovers, but it seemed like most of the turnovers tonight were happening at points where we had cut the lead down to four, cut the lead down to six, whatever the case may be. And then it's like you get a, a very ill-advised pass and now they're on the break either getting an easy easy dunk at the rim or they're getting a, a fast big three that's wide open so those are five six point swings and you have how many did they have tonight 18 I think it was 18 turnovers like you're even though the Minnesota Timberwolves aren't like a, a top a team yet you're probably not gonna win many games when you have that many errors and like I said at the points where they happen in the game as well 
Yeah, and 28 points off turnovers, off the, yeah. uh, off the Nets, 18 or 19 turnovers. By ESPN, it's 19. I think it might be NBA.com have it as 18. Whereas the Nets only got 10 points off nine turnovers. That's an 18-point differential in an 11-point game. You compound that with the little dinky things of the refereeing and you know some poor play from James Harden and Lamarcus Aldridge and some pretty poor defending in general, which led to a lot of those turnovers. This was a winnable game, and it's going to be only even tougher coming up with a few back-to-backs that are going to be incredibly difficult to win, given the the compressed nature of the the COVID schedule that the Nets now have to face. Um, This one might come back to bite the Nets, and some of it was their fault, some of it was out of their control, but this one is going to be one that we might look back on and go, man, if only we had that one, if only we had that one. Yeah, I think you always look at games like this, especially, like you said, Jack, when you have, you know, good competition coming up no disrespect to the Timberwolves I mean they're fighting for a playoff spot they're in that play-in situation but you know Lakers are obviously going to come to play Anthony Davis is probably going to be back for that game Denver you know Jokic is doing his thing so this is a game you do want to win you want to go three and one on the road trip but again it's not the end of the world just given it is just a regular season game but I think defensively this is one of those games where the Nets just didn't really look super locked in they allowed the Timberwolves to get comfortable and they remained hot for the rest of the game Look, to, I think it was emblematic when there was a possession, first or second quarter, where the Nets probably played the best defensive sequence that I've seen them play in, throughout the whole four quarters, where they were switching, they were making the rotations, and you know they were stopping the three ball, and the, the Minnesota were passing the ball really well, but the Nets were getting out to it, and J.D. McDaniel still got a relatively yep. open layup. It was just you know, emblematic, even if the Nets were doing the right thing, Minnesota was a little bit better, or just the ball wasn't swinging their way, so... This wasn't the Nets' night in a lot of respects. Um, like we said, some things out of their control, some things in their control. A lot of the types of turnovers that led to those 28 points is where, you know, the live ball turnovers or James, some of those weren't even turnovers. It was, you know, James Harden might drive into the lane and then they get an open rebound and at least there's some transition buckets. You know, some of the fast break points from, from Minnesota were pretty, you know, blasons also. So it's just one of those games where it's just, it's a... It's hard to hard to swallow. It's a bitter pill. Yeah, especially because a lot of things they didn't do well that they could control and that probably could have put them into a better position. Like we said, the officiating, something they can't. You know, turnover, something they can. Defense, something they can. And obviously, I think, you know, the coaching wasn't ideal. There were some definitely lineups out there that weren't great. DJ, in your head, what stuck out for lineup perspectives that you saw tonight that made you upset? Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember very vividly. It was a four-point game, and Stephen John Nash decided <laughs> that having a lineup consisting of James, Patty, JJ, Bruce, and Blake for nine minutes straight would be a good idea. As you can probably assume... That lineup was terrible defensively, was terrible on the glass, and the ability to score on offense was not there. You had James Harden and Patty Mills kicking to Bruce Brown and James Johnson in the corner for three, which we all know the defense is going to leave wide open 99 times out of 100. So that was a that was a huge thing for me. Another thing is we all know there's been points of the – points of this year where Blake has been absolutely putrid in games to the point where we're like, why are we in? But recently, Blake has been playing a lot better. He's been a lot less sloppy finishing offensively. He's been 
he's been great in help defense. He's been great in helping the box guys out, even if he's not grabbing the boards. He's been great being that, that physical guy that we had last year, being that physical small ball five. And, again, Steven decided that this man did not deserve a single second in the second half. And I don't know how people are going to justify it. If I hear the word experiment again, I'm going to back <laughs> head into the wall. It is game 47. You have enough game tape to know when a lineup works, what guys work well together, <laughs> what lineups will produce offensively without giving up too much on defense, and vice versa. Also, I don't know how many minutes Benbury played today, but it wasn't enough. The few minutes he did play, he played solid defense. He had that breakaway dunk off the steal, and he had that incredibly high IQ basketball play where he was about to get the ball on the board, saw Anthony Edwards was there, threw it off of his leg, and made the turnover. I mean, made the out-of-bounds on him. Um, and then the most egregious offense, in my opinion, was when Steve decided in the fourth quarter when L.A. fouled out, which no one expected, I understand that, but L.A. fouled out, and you see that Dayron is doing about as well as you can possibly ask guarding Carl Anthony Towns, and you decide, you know what? Let's go with a small ball lineup. Let's have JJ at the five. Dayron, you played about 10 minutes this game. Sit down. We don't need you. We're going to let Carl Anthony Towns go on a 50 to nothing run because he has 6'8 James Johnson guarding him in the paint. Piggybacking off some of the things because they are really pertinent, and I agree basically with everything that DJ is saying. DeAndre Bembry led the team in plus minus with plus seven in the 16 minutes that he did play. So, look, plus minus can be a bit of a flawed stat. Actually, I, I think Dayron Sharp did with plus eight. Sorry, Dayron Sharp with plus eight. I was literally, as I'm looking at it, I'm like, no, he didn't. It's plus eight. And as I was going to get to Dayron Sharp, it was it's just to piggyback with Odd even more. So it's just, uh, it, I guess Stephen, and I love how my, my guy DJ is calling him Stephen now as well, was Jimmy Butler just ripping up the box score sheet and throwing it away because he just didn't know what the hell worked. Damon Sharp was he, – he wasn't amazing tonight, but he was the Nets' best center. I, I honestly do think that. And he was good in the other game as well where he had like six boards in like four minutes or something you know, absolutely ridiculous. You know, he can give away some ticky-tacky fouls here and there, but you know, Marcus Aldridge is saying the same thing about Damon Sharp, and then he's getting fouled out with six yeah. points for only like the 25th time in his 10,000-game career, however long he's played for. So – I think that playing James Johnson on Anthony Town was egregious with a capital A. That lineup that was in the second or third quarter was egregious with a capital A-G-R-E-G-I-O-U-S. It was just baffling and befuddling and every other adjective that you want to think of that I just I don't understand what Steve Nash is doing. Like, we've seen... It surely follows some of us on Nets Twitter, and like, there's a lot of smart people putting out like lineup stats. I'll put out the lineup set of like the the starters. The the current level of starters have played about 35, 40 minutes together. They have a defensive rating of 91 and they have an offensive rating of like 126. What now? I understand Kessler did get in a little bit of foul trouble, but you still keep those five players are probably your best players. Darren Charles probably the best or the centers are interchangeable right now without Claxton. Obviously, I think the Nets are missing him and hopefully he's back soon. We did hear they'll hopefully be back next week. But playing guys that you just know aren't going to work together. Brute, 
Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin, if they're ever on a basketball court together, I have a lot of hair to pull out, but it might be gone by the next time that Steve Nash plays that two-man lineup. <laughs> I looked up, actually, the three-man combo because I think DJ put out a tweet. He's like, I, I bet that the three-man combo of James Johnson, uh, Bruce Brown, and Blake Griffin is like minus 50. It's bad, but it's not minus 50 bad. It's like minus eight. I think they have like 108 um, offensive rating and 116 defensive rating, which are which is pretty bad for three of our better defenders, but guys that are, I don't know what Blake is, if he's an offensive or defensive player, but the <laughs> it, it was a bit of a, a messy, messy night. Yeah, I mean, like you said, obviously there's injuries. Kessler Edwards was banged up, but I think for me, you're looking probably at more of an infusion of Cam Thomas that's a guy that can give you some offensive pop that can give you some spacing in some of these lineups because obviously it is limited, but there are things that do work and that you do need to go to. The whole thing with Dayron Sharp, it is interesting because he essentially just like played the first quarter, played the beginning of the third quarter, and then we saw him a little bit of the fourth. It's like they're not willing to give him those full minutes. And like you guys mentioned, LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, offensively didn't really have it going tonight. And defensively, he's never really anything special. Blake Griffin, you kind of know what you're getting. It's a little bit of a mixed bag. You know, they're going to have the good plays, the bad plays, and he's obviously small ball. So, and I felt like Daron actually was having an impact, you know, on the boards, you know, six off offensive boards in 22 minutes, you know, that's some big time stuff. I mean, DJ, in your eyes, what would you like to see from the coaching perspective in terms of, who needs to be infused in the lineup more to create some of this? Who needs to be removed from the rotation? Um, so I think we we hit on it. I, I never want to see the Blake and Bruce lineup ever again. <laughs> I think we have enough samples to, to realize that that is terrible for spacing. And with the way I can understand if, you know, with the way Bruce's shot hasn't been falling this year, if he was still playing lockdown defense, but Bruce Brown has been looking like a 6'4 TLC on defense this year. <laughs> All he does is pick up stupid ticky-tack fouls to stop breaks. Stupid fouls to stop breaks. And then and if he's not picking up a foul on a reach, stopping a break, he's running and hitting a shoot, a three-point shooter in their hip when they've already missed a shot. So it's like, if he's not even providing what we got him for, Plus, we all we all don't we, nobody expects him to be you know a solid threat offensively. But if you're not even playing defense well, and then I understand it's a small sample size, but Bembry, even though he had a, a very bad shot today that became an assist. No, to that JJ, was a pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like he in a small sample size, I think he's he's shooting like on on 28 threes. I think he's like at 41 percent or something like that. Something that's high. So it's like. At least you can see that one, Bembry, one, Bembry does everything better than Bruce. Every single aspect of the game that they have those two guys there for, they have very skim similar skill sets, but Bembry is way better. And yeah, I get it. He had the back spasms coming off the of injury, but 16 minutes and then the minutes that he's not out there and Bruce is out there, we're giving up everything. We can't, we can't stop a nosebleed. So I don't I don't think Bruce and Blake should be in the lineup and I don't think Bruce should be getting minutes, period. Also, until Clax is back, there's no reason why you shouldn't split the time with LA and Dayron almost evenly. I understand giving LA the edge, maybe like a, a 28 and 20 type of thing, but you're having Dayron out there for five minutes in the first, five minutes in the third, and then it's like, oh yeah, we're down by 20. Day they go back in the game when we see that this man, I saw somebody was talking about uh, 
I forgot which stat it was about his offensive rebounding, but it was like yeah, it's in the hundredth percent off when the, he's on the floor. Hundred percent off, and he's fighting for minutes. And it's like, do you understand how important second chance buckets are when you, especially when you have suboptimal spacing out there? Which most of these lineups, especially now that they're going back home and won't have Kyrie. Most of these lineups have terrible spacing where it's James, Patty, three non-shooters, or even sometimes it's James by himself, two bigs, including L.A., which I guess you can count as a shooter, and then two wings that can't shoot. It's like I, I don't I don't understand, and people I understand he may be a nice guy, and he wasn't brought in to be an X's and O's coach, but there's no reason why you have me, an absolute nobody on Twitter, Everything that I've suggested about <laughs> everything that I've suggested about lineup tweaks and rotation tweaks when he's tried has worked. Same with other people. It's like we're watching. You see these guys every single day. You have all of the game tape available to you. You have all of the practice tape available to you. And you're just throwing out these incompetent lineups that are either costing us games or making it nail biters when we could be running away with games and preserving our stars who are racking up 40 minutes a game. But, no, I, I Nash is a great coach. He's a, a top 10 coach, according to some. <laughs> Look, I to piggyback again off what DJ sort of saying, I think that playing 11 guys two nights in a well, two games in a row, I'm a bit unsure why that's continuing to happen because – you know, comparing back to like you know Kenny Atkinson back in the days, he would play you know always solid nine, and and that is that. And look, we have our gripes with Kenny Atkinson. We have our gripes with all coaches, and they're like, no one is perfect. No one is Eric Spolstra or Ty Lue, you know, or you know the elite of the elite, Monty Williams. Yeah. I just think that having eleven guys and a lot of guys aren't capable two-way players. We don't have like. Kessler Edwards might be our best two-way player, two-way role player right now. Paddy Mills is a decent enough defender, but I don't think he has the de- defensive competency and size and athleticism that Kessler has by any stretch. So I think that we need to start to go, okay, experimenting last season was worthwhile because we didn't know what the hell was going on. This was a completely new team. Now we know what the nucleus of this team is. You know what Patty Mills is going to give you. You know what LaMarcus Aldridge is going to give you. Now it's about, okay, what can I get out of the rookies maybe? You're, you're experimenting, but you're not experimenting with Cam Thomas, as as Nick alluded to earlier. You know, the, the types of experimentations are ones that are causing the bad explosions like Seamus in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. It's just, uh, I don't understand some of the things that Stephen does sometimes. So when he does go to the good things, it's just like, okay, this works, you know, our starting five, the, the consistency that they have. You know, playing four, uh, three shooters and Daron Sharp or Nicholas Claxton next to James Harden creates good quality offense. And uh, it's created good quality offense for the past nine to 10 seasons with James Harden with the ball in his hands. Now, obviously, there are limitations with the injuries and, and everything else, but I don't know whether it's the guys behind the scenes that aren't saying things, whether I, I just, I, uh, there are answers there. But, and the questions are, you know, are, are right there for everyone to see. And it seems to me that, you know, and I don't think DJ, you know, you're not a bum on Twitter, mate. You're one of the kings of Nets Twitter, <laughs> mean God. But if we know here, like, you know, just guys, you know, that talk about the Nets, then surely, you know, the, the king of TikTok dances with his family, <laughs> Steve Nash, knows them as well. 
Yeah, I think also, too, some of it's probably him trying to keep too many guys happy, like you're saying, playing 11 guys, where it's a little redundant to play Bruce Brown and DeAndre Bembry. That's something, you know, we've talked about in the past where eventually it was come to a point where you're going to only really play one of these guys. So, And then just some of the other veterans just aren't playing as well as they should be. You know, they're just very sporadic for veterans. You know, sometimes you're getting good minutes from James Johnson. Sometimes you're getting good minutes from Blake Griffin. And now it's just like, and then it's also like, we'll see games with no James Johnson in the rotation. Then he tries to include him. Then he tries to put him in a tough situation against Carl Anthony Town. So it, it's definitely strange. And I think Steve Nash is at his best when he leans in the offense, when we're seeing just, you know, a lot of like four out lineups, just, Maybe, like I said, playing Cam a little bit more, leaning into some of the energy and effort plays, especially if you're playing, you know, DeAndre Bembry, Bruce Brown, James Johnson, Blake Griffin for energy and defense, and you're not really getting that, then, like, why not play the rookies that are more athletic? They play the energy and the effort, and they, they have potential to even play better because they're going to take advantage of the opportunity they're getting. I was shocked, Nick, his over-the-box score in front of me, and we all do when we're doing these recaps or whatever. Cam Thomas in his 15 minutes was 4 of 6 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free-throw line, had 11 points and was plus 6, also had 2 rebounds and an assist. What did he do to not get, you know, into the 20s of minutes? Like, it, James Johnson had 20 minutes. I don't understand why he got 5 minutes more than Cam Thomas other than the fact that he's a wing and has size. Then we know... Steve Nash might have said the maybe it was a week or two ago that the Nets are a defensive team and we've gone away from that. No, the Nets are an offensive team that are getting lucky on defense for your know, 40 games this season. Lean into what we know the Nets are. They have incredible offensive talent, and when you have surround the incredible offensive talent with decent role players that are either solid defensively, like a DeAndre Bembry, or Bruce Brown when he actually is playing like Bruce Brown, or James Johnson when he doesn't have to play alongside you know guys that are as worse three-point shooters as, as he is, even though he somehow got a three off the weirdest shot that I've ever seen in my life. Darren Sharp gets a nice assist from it, at least without <laughs> DJ's boy doing some nice things. So there was just... Uh, uh, we need to see some changes going forward. And I think with On The Buzz and a lot of other platforms have been given Steve Nash credit when he has done well also. But it's like he's trying to do too much where he doesn't have to. Like we've got... While the... The Nets are going 11 deep or whatever and, you know, occasionally throwing out a David Duke Jr. and Javon Carter or whoever else. It's just like, let's just play these guys and ride them a little bit because, yes, it's going to be tough. And um, there's no, I don't know, understand this like in conditioning thing because James Harden still played 35 minutes. Kyrie still played 35 minutes. Paddy Mills still played 20, uh, 33 minutes. And Kessler Edwards played 29. And he would have played 35 if he wasn't in foul trouble as well. So it, it's just like... This weird mismatch of minutes when it comes to the center rotation and the role player rotation is just like, all right, I'm going to roll the dice and go, okay, well, Cam Thomas gets eight minutes tonight. DeAndre Bembry gets 11 minutes tonight. It's just like he's gone to Vegas and put it all on red. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. With Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Yeah, I think another thing that uh, is important too to know is that like the non-space lineups, I think that's where you try to include Kyrie. We, I think we talked about this in the last show and it's been talked about on other shows. It's just like Kyrie can kind of work with nothing. James, you want to give him that roller and you want to give him that spacing. And then he can operate and be a really good offense. So, obviously, coaching wasn't great. But I guess talking about a bright spot of tonight, Kyrie Irving, 30 points, 11 of 20 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3, 5 of 5 from the free throw line, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 3 turnovers. What would you think of his performance, DJ? Um, I think I think it's great to see. I mean, I you never expect Russ with Kyrie, whether it's coming from his leave last year or coming off of an injury. Like, he's one of the players who – I don't understand anything about like I don't it shouldn't be possible to be as good as quickly as he is it's like he doesn't need a warm-up period he doesn't need there's never a point where you're like oh he's slumping because he's coming back it's like no he comes back it takes him a little bit of time to get his wind but he was still making tough buckets without having wind and they gave him a little bit of a whistle today but they still had plenty of missed calls and I'm just like Bro, just because he's Kyrie Irving and he can finish through contact, that doesn't mean you're supposed to just hold on to your whistle every single time he drives into the paint and has somebody who's a 6'9 power forward or a 7-foot center body bumping him to the point where he has to take an off-balance shot. And you're thinking, oh, he just sidestepped or whatever. Like, no, he's getting hit in the air and then not calling anything for it. Um, he was he was great. Uh in terms of trying his best to, you know, slow down their momentum some. He he hit the threes that he hit were in transition again or just, you know, easy pull ups. It was it was nice to see and I I really, really want him to be in the lineup full time again because I wanna see this show every night. Like is <laughs> my favorite player and he was one of the guys that I followed. Like I don't I don't really watch that many guys closely that aren't on the team but he was one of the guys that I followed before he got here and like that man is a magician who just so happens to be good at basketball yeah I mean he just adds an element of fun to the Nets that they don't have when he doesn't play 
Yeah, to make another Harry Potter reference in relation to magic, he's got the Elder Wand. He's got the Invisibility Cloak. He's got the Resurrection Stone. Yeah, so he has the Deathly Hallows. He's got the Deathly Hallows on both arms. He's got him everywhere. Um, it, it, to Look, not to do too many weird references on this podcast, but <laughs> I have every single game I take notes on, you know, plays that stick out to me. Now that Kyrie Irving's back, I my documents are getting longer and longer. And I'm trying to pick out ones I'm like, okay, if I do a thread or if I pick out a, a play that sort of sticks out to me that Kyrie Irving does, I'm like, which one do I do? I have about five or six tonight. There's like the spin move. There's the pull-up threes. That's finishing through contact. There's finishing over, what, two, like, seven-footers around the rim to make, like, a, a Kobe Bryant-esque shot like he's, his mentor would be very, very proud of. Um, it's just he makes the, the tough look easy. And I can't, I don't think I can say it as succinctly as that. He makes basketball look effortless. I could, it, it's, it's like I'm like, hey, he does that. I could easily do that. He's just spinning around. He got the ball in his hands like it's a, a goddamn yo-yo. And like DJ was sort of saying, you know, I've got Netflix, I've got HBO Max, I've got all the different streaming services. I'd get rid of them all and just buy a, a one-man subscription to watch Kyrie Irving play and do whatever he does because he is something else. Yeah, and at one point DJ brought up, uh, I was nice to see him get to the free throw line a little bit tonight, get some of those calls, get some of those and ones. I think that's big. And like you're saying, Jack, it's like he's just a guy you can throw the ball to at the end of the shot clock, you know, eight seconds. He's going to probably make something of it, especially if he gets good spacing. Like we talked about, he can operate and get buckets when there's no space, but he's still a guy that if he gets that one-on-one ISO situation, you feel really good. And we saw tonight a couple times he was able to take that one or two more steps to get all the way to the rim rather than have to settle for some of those fadeaways. And not to say that they're a bad shot, but as he kind of gets a little bit more comfortable back in the game, I feel like he's going to get to the rim a little bit more and get used to that physicality that it's just hard to replicate when you're not playing NBA games. So really happy with the way Kyrie's playing. Jack, what do you got? One last point on Kyrie Irving. The stat that I put out I wanted to bring to the show as well. He's shooting 41.8% on pull-up threes. To put that into context, Kevin Durant, shooting 38%. Pull-up threes are pretty goddamn hard shots to hit. And I think Kevin Durant's the best pull-up three taker that I've ever seen. Kyrie Irving is probably in the top five or top ten. Both of those guys are... And I have people sort of saying, yeah, but he's only doing it off this side. I'm just like, shut the hell up. Just, like, enjoy it and appreciate greatness. That's the best part about watching this sport and, you know, appreciating the artistry of some of these absolute superstars. And Kyrie is an absolute superstar. And talking about the Nets' other superstar, James Harden, not his best night. 13 points, 4-13 from the field, 1-4 from 3, 4-4 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 13 assists, 1 steal, but 6 turnovers. DJ, what to make of James Harden after arguably having his best night of the season against the Spurs? Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the people who, when James plays poorly, it's like, I know there's going to be a thousand people who are like, oh, he sucks. Let's let's trade him. Let's, you know, don't bring him back. Get, don't give him the max. Like, nonsense. I, like, James is one of the one of the players that I look at, and I'm just like, I truly believe that in this regular season specifically, he's coasting because I think last year showed him that he's mortal because, you know, experiencing that first injury and having to be a hamstring injury that, popped up multiple times I feel like he he's realizing now like okay I can't go Superman for the entire regular season but with that being said it is extremely extremely frustrating how throughout the season whenever he 
gets a turnover or whenever he, you know, got, goes to the rim and doesn't get a call, he just stands back on defense. And it's like, bro, you're giving the other team, A, you're giving them a break. B, you're giving them an advantage in terms of numbers. They're allowed to set up their offense. And by the time they're up the court ready to pull up for three or, you know, get an easy cut to the rim, you're still in the backcourt either arguing or standing there with your hands raised. And it's like, bro, run back. Run back on defense. You made the mistake. Do whatever you can to clean it up. You don't worry about that with other with other stars on the team. You don't worry about that with other players on the team. And it's just like that that lack of effort when he makes a mistake is one thing that's extremely, extremely frustrating. And then when the shot isn't falling and he's looking to to make a pass after dribbling the air out of the ball for 10 seconds and passing it to somebody with two seconds on the clock, hoping that they can do something. It's like, bro, this like this is why I understand why people get frustrated with you. But like I said, I I'm not I'm not worried about this being an issue when we're in the games that matter. I think it's just this year he's playing sort of how a lot of people didn't notice, but like when KD was in Golden State, he kind of was coasting too throughout the regular season and then became a different beast in the playoffs. And I have 100% faith in James to do that with the performances we've seen this year. We know that he still has the capability. It's just some nights he, he plays out of his mind in a positive way and some nights he makes me lose my mind. And tonight was one of the nights where he made me lose my mind. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point because I think also, I might have said this, I can't remember when on the buzz, that I think he came in thinking that Kyrie would be back, Katie would all, and everything would be, you know, copacetic and I could come in a little bit and work myself into shape like a Luka or a Jokic. The Jokic has actually came in in pretty good shape. So I think that being behind the eight ball, he's catching up a little bit. And I think because he set such high standards for himself, we have high standards for him as Nets fans and as general basketball watchers. You are an MVP, top five level player, first team All-NBA level player. If you're not playing like that, then we're going to get on your back. And it's warranted for a lot of the, for a lot of the time because sometimes it's good when you know his defensive lapses last season, seasons before in Houston have been glaring. They haven't you know had the same effect on the team overall because it's just it just doesn't. Whereas now they are having that effect, and I think also it's a an optics sort of issue as well because I think James Harden in the absence of Kevin Durant is even more of a leader within this team and I, I, I'm a big fan of his leadership style and but I do also think that his leadership is better reflected in actions rather than words when he got that massive dunk and he was just jiggling and, and loving life you know the, when he got the dunk in the, against the San Antonio Spurs hitting two step back threes in a row he's hugging Kyrie you know it, it's easy to do well and, and to, you know, put up when, you know, the, the chips are, are all there for you. But when the chips are down, that's when we need James Harden to step up. Hit us a step back three. Get to the line for two. Make a defensive play. You know, just not necessarily focus on the external circumstances and go, this is what I control. My team needs me to get back in transition, as DJ's alluding to. They need me to just, like, ignore what the refs are doing or, you know, force their hand. You know, maybe be a bit more physical like he was during the San Antonio game. His mindset was there. He forced issue on the, the referee. Now, we've had, we don't need to go back to the officiating tonight, but this was one of the 
bottom five, bottom eight worst performances from James Harden this year. And a part of me was really hoping that, you know, the second half, I'm like, all right, he's going to get himself going. I think he started 05, 06, something like that. But then, you know, that's the great thing about basketball. It's a 48-minute game. You can go, all right, I'll bounce back. I'm going to get back into this. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be tonight. Yeah, I think you guys nailed it, especially, you know, obviously defensively him not getting back. And I think when he's not playing well offensively, all of those mistakes just stick out more and it's more frustrating. But then, like you're saying, Jack, from a leadership perspective, you want good body language even when you're not playing well. You're not going to have a good night every single night. And, you know, his teammates are looking to him. And I think one thing when you watch James Harden, you can tell when he's in attack mode and he's trying to eat up his defender and get to the rim. And you can tell when he's kind of being a little passive. And tonight, you could tell he was being passive. That's why some of those passes were just getting picked off. They knew that he wasn't going to go to the rim and he was just going to dribble out the ball or he was going to settle for a step back three because there was that possession early in the game where Cat locked him up. Cat's not a good defender, and he really just had him in lockdown. And it's just like, yeah, we know what you're doing because your body language says it all. His handle was way off tonight as well. That's I always mention that, and that's one thing I always look at with James Harden in comparison to when he's at his best and when he's at his worst. What is his handle like? He gave the ball up to, uh, like at least two times, maybe more, off just plainly just, you know, he fell over once tonight, you know, just getting back on defense, yeah. like literally tripped over his own feet more than once. And he gave the ball up by just dribbling it off his leg. Those little mini mistakes, you know, they can breed and on top of themselves and sort of, you know, breed that sort of negativity. Or you can go, all right, put that aside. Had a couple of shit plays. Let's go back. Let's hit a three. Let's make a nice pass. Get in a pick and roll. Let's get into a set. But it would just, it, it just, it keeps, it kept festering on top of each other. Yeah, it, it just like you said, Jack. Probably one of his bottom five performances of the season. Moving on to DJ, uh, you got anything else to say, mate? Yeah, um, it's it's kind of related, but I just wanted your guys' perspective on it. Um, I I think that one thing that hasn't been referenced a lot because it's not something that you can really measure, but it's been extremely frustrating for me how teams are so comfortable being physical with us because they know that one, you're not going to have a situation where T where Steve is going to get angry and, and get a tech and two guys who we have like James Johnson, who are supposed to be our enforcers, aren't allowed to play that role because then you know, you get a hard foul back on somebody and now Steve is, is sending you to the bench for it. So I just wanted you guys, your guys' opinion on how, like, do you think that it's an issue that we're, we're so friendly? Like, we're never, we're never, like, you wear black and white. You play in Brooklyn. Like, <laughs> you're, you're supposed to represent, like, the grit of the city, the heart of the city, and nobody on this team has any, has any heart. And if they do... They, they get punished for, you know, sticking up for their guys. I definitely think occasionally as a coach needs to get a check. I've always kind of been a big believer in that, especially if you feel like you're specifically not getting calls and the other team is getting that same call. Like tonight was an instance where I felt like Harden was getting the same whistle as Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns was creating a lot of contact himself and then flopping and then getting the call. You know, Harden was in that same situation multiple times, didn't get to the line, ended up being a turnover. Timberwolves get free two points or they get a good transition opportunity. So I definitely think that you do need to stick up for yourselves a little bit, even if it, it's a bad look. Like, sometimes it's not going to be the prettiest thing, like, but it's going to make you get the calls. I always think back, he's not a good coach. Jason Cade, when he was a coach of the Nets in the playoffs against the Raptors, Joe Johnson was getting his ass beat and he was getting no calls. Next game, you know, Kid talks about in his press conference, gets fine. 
Joe Johnson shoots double-digit free throws. Sometimes you just got to do it. It's an ugly look, but the whole thing with Harden, it definitely feels like game to game. What's the whistle going to be like? And that's obviously frustrating for a player and for a team. Yeah, I, I'm going to make another comparison point. You know, we remember Spencer Dinwiddie holding back Kenny Atkinson going Hulk mode. You know, it, sometimes, and, and look, to in Steve Nash's credit, it's the angriest that I've ever seen tonight on yeah. the most blatant missed call ever. But I think what DJ is saying, I think it's the nature of when he gets angry. I want him to get, he's a, and DJ literally mentioned this earlier in the episode, he's meant to be the player-centric, player-friendly coach. Then stick up for you guys, my dude. Like, we don't don't need the high fives and the the coffees and everything going on behind the scenes. We want, like, a a coach that's going to be a bit of an a-hole, a bit of a Doc Rivers. Eric Spolster loses his shit as well. I think that... That knowing that your your coach is standing up for you and not just letting everything run out and go okay, the, we all we always know that Steve Nash is like well the, the players will figure it out they'll figure it out we don't need to call a timeout they'll figure it out and obviously he he's worked a little bit on that, some of his timeouts um, the timing of his timeouts but that is something that needs to change in terms of player wise Blake sort of is that um, in in a sense. I think DeAndre Bembry's got a little bit of that about him. Uh, I think Katie's kind of the asshole, and he's out. Katie, uh, Katie is, and I think that maybe the absence of Kevin Durant is the Nets are missing an a hole, and Kevin Durant's like you know not you know nuzzling his chin on Trey Young and you know <laughs> calling out and thumbs up and thumbs down to Joel Embiid or telling him to to ship off and the Chicago Bulls to ship off and whatever. So the, I think that the personality of the team you know is a little bit different without obviously one of the best players in the world and. Kevin Durant's personality this year has been something I think that we've all loved, but I'm intrigued. And funnily enough, you know, Torian Prince was a little bit of an a-hole when he was at Brooklyn Net too. Yeah. So, and obviously Torian Prince and James Russell go off against us. It's just, it was written in the script. But DJ, what do you think, I guess? What's the answer to your own question? Um, I, I, I generally, like, I don't understand what it's going to take for that alarm to go off because it's like, like you said that I had mentioned earlier, you're not the X's and O's guy. So you have to stick up. You have to stick up for your guys. You have to let the guys know that you're not going to you're not going to just stand there and watch them get assaulted in the middle of a basketball game without, you know, flipping out. Because when the refs like even if you don't want to get a tech in game, you don't even reference it in 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 the press conference. It's like. What is what is a, a 15k fine to to mil- coaches making millions of dollars? Like, you have to send a message that like, yo, you're not gonna come in here and continue to push us around and bully us without any type of retaliation. Like, you, I understand we're in a different era of basketball. We're in an era that's way less physical than the 90s and early 2000s. But you don't even need that. Most guys, if you, if I see my guy get a hard foul, I come back, I give you a hard foul, it's probably done. But with the Nets, it's just like, yo, we're going to bully these guys because we know, A, they're not going to retaliate. B, the refs are going to let us get away with it. C, you know the coaches are going to do anything about it. And it's just like, that's going to continually be an issue. And also another thing is the health aspect It's like, you're letting these guys get away with these these reckless and dangerous plays. You're putting your guys' safety at risk. Prime example, the play where Kevin Durant got hurt, Herb Jones stiff-armed Bruce Brown into him, and nothing happened. Like, you can't, you can't allow that. Now we don't have KD for over a month, and it's like, yeah, we don't know what, what could have happened, but, like, come on, bro. 
I think also some of it too is like the Nets uh, players just not being super revved up for the regular season. You know, a lot of these other teams, they're getting amped up to play the Nets. Like, yeah, that's what we hear about all offseason, the big three, blah, blah, blah. This team's going to win a championship. None of us stand a chance. Like, all right, we're going to go like mess with this team a little bit and try to win and make those extra plays where it just feels like the Nets don't always care. And like, I'm not saying that's right, but that's not super surprising given that it's a championship team. Like they, you know, it's going to be hard to get up for, you know, a January 23rd game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, where for the Timberwolves, it's like, oh, the Nets are in town. You know what I mean? James Harden, Kyrie Irving are here. You know, let's let's show some juice. So I think also that's just like something to take into, you know, the 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 thought process. But again, that's the team doing it. To just, I guess, finish off the point um, via Matt Brooks, Steve Nash was asked whether he thinks James Harden is getting the same benefit of the whistle this year. Uh, he answered, no, there are some nights where he's being targeted. Okay, there's maybe he's, he's he's getting a little bit, you know, irritated and whatever, but you know, lose it a little bit. You know, the Nets are... Joe, Joe Sy has billions and billions of dollars. He bought a goddamn skyscraper in Manhattan. You know, it's it's not going to be the end of the world if we see him, you know, lose $25,000 because of what he's saying. And I, I think that sometimes it's... Steve Nash can be, you know, his own worst enemy. Sometimes, you know, some of his strengths can be turned into his weaknesses. So it's it's something that, and, and James Harden himself sort of said that he doesn't think he's getting the same uh, benefit of the whistle and he adds that it's frustrating. So I think that all the things that we're saying, Steve Nash hears, James Harden hears as well. So hopefully it's, you know, they're not, some of them are, are longer term issues than they are you know, for others. You know, whether James Harden actually adjusts and, and keeps his mentality keeps his head on straight as the game is going on. Sometimes that can be an issue. But this Steve Nash sort of personality thing is something that I think is, has been said of him ever since he entered Brooklyn because, you know, it's, you want... you every in, in certain jobs, you know, you, you want someone to be, have that, you know, not be the, the vanilla ice cream. You need the sprinkles, you need the fudge, and you need some nuts. You need some hard <laughs> peanuts, walnuts, hazelnuts. And I don't think Steve Nash has any nuts right now. Uh, that that was a good one, Jack. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes. Obviously, every personality provides different things. But talking a little bit more about this game, just looking at your boy Patty Mills, twenty-one points, eight of fifteen, five of ten from three, uh, three rebounds, one assist, one turnover. Patty got it back in groove. You know, he was doing his thing. Obviously, we talked about it in the Spurs game. Probably a little emotional being back there, but tonight he was he was cooking. What did we think, DJ? I one of the things that is like extremely bothersome to me is when we waste good patty shooting nights is like I, I know there's a stat that like I don't know we've probably lost one or two games where he has like five or more threes and he was hitting some tough yep. contested threes and like it's it's just it's just really annoying because it's like we've seen in my opinion a, a total of about three complete games from this team and it's like it's, it's, it's just annoying to me because I know exactly what we can be even when we don't have all three superstars out there. Like, teams deal with injuries. It's it's a part of the game. Obviously, you factor in the COVID stuff, but it's just like, bro, there's so many games where, you know, I have to remind myself, like, okay, this is not, this is not what we're playing for. This is not... The 2016 Nets. This is not like, oh, let's let's you know try to rack up these regular season wins because we know we're not doing anything. We know the end goal is for us to be. Hopefully, Jack, you can come to the states and we'll be drunk on Atlantic Avenue in, in mid June or July, or whenever, <laughs> whenever the parade is. 
But it's just like nights like this is like ugh, there's there's so much we could have fixed to make this a winnable game. And we know that the Minnesota Timberwolves are not better than this team in any capacity, but just like so much stuff just didn't go in our favor. But so going bringing it back to the point, I think it was I think it's great that uh, Patty has looked like himself besides that Spurs game since he got that break. Um, I think the minutes were starting to become extremely taxing on him because they didn't bring him in, expect him to play 30 plus minutes. Um, we, need, we need Joey Buckets back. I, I know that's going to be after the break, but Patty's been doing an amazing job. And I think that that, you know, being able to get him rest here and there will ensure that he doesn't have like some massive burnout where it looked like he was having earlier, where it was just like every game he's looking gassed and obviously yep. that's affecting his shot. Yeah, and I think that, to put it into context, Nick, how many minutes do you think that Patty Mills is averaging this season? Uh, let's go with 32. You're close, 31, 30.9. He hasn't averaged more than 25 minutes since the 2017-18 season, and that was the highest minutes that he's ever played. Last season, 24.8. Season before that, 22.5. 23.3 uh, before that in 2018-19. This is the fact that Patty Mills is producing at such a high standard. And, and I think people do get frustrated by sometimes the inconsistency, but he's playing a role that is like not normal to him on an NBA sphere. This is normal for him on an international sphere, which is why he's performing as well as he is, because he's able to you know, have the opportunity to go out there for a little bit longer. But I think that it's about that balance. And sometimes that balance, you know, is a, a little bit askew, but some of the timing of his three-point shoot, shooting tonight, the, the timing of some of his shots, and, and as DJ alluded to, and, and Nick, you alluded to as well, the difficulty of some of those shots. He's had the best season of his career, and the fact that he's doing it in a, a black-and-white uniform is pretty awesome. Um, and I, I hope he, and I think that his leadership um, and, and the culture that he brings as an individual, um, you know, we hear like sort of James and, and, and Kyrie speak about it as well, about, you know, wanting to do things for Patty in LA and that sort of thing. So I think that his presence within this team uh, is going to keep them on the right track, even when they aren't as steady as they probably should be. You know, we saw, you know, um, them go to a, a cool San Antonio cafe, play a bit of cornhole, have a few coffees, have some drinks. Uh, drinks of coffee, not like, you know, alcoholic beverages. They're probably hopefully doing that when they deserve to have them. But, yeah, I, I just love what Patty Mills brings to the NBA and the fact that he brings it to the black and white is just an added bonus. Yeah, and like you said, you know, he's playing a lot bigger role than what he's used to. He's brought in to be a six-man. He wasn't asked to be the starter when they signed him. That was Joe Harris's job and even KD being out and then the whole Kyrie situation, he's just played so much. So it's just like the workload is definitely there, but he played well tonight. And you see him sometimes trying to get the team going. You know, he hit a big three tonight. He was kind of chirping to everybody, like, let's pick it up a little bit. And What's the vibe? Yeah. What's the vibe? That's what you need in some of these January <laughs> games. So I uh, love what Patty Mills did. I guess we're mandatory on here to talk about Kessler Edwards real quick. Yes. 15 points, 6 out of 10 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, uh, 5 rebounds. Obviously, we saw him knock down a couple of threes in this one, but we also saw him hit that mid-range shot again, looking really comfortable in that pull-up situation. Um, so Kessler is one of my three unofficial clients on the team. Um, <laughs> Nick Clack. Since unofficial agent, Dayron's unofficial agent, and Kess. So every single Kess performance, just uh, we start getting more calls for endorsements. You know, people want my guy. Um, he is 
just like I knew when we got him, I was like, yo, I know at some point in the season he's going to be a contributor, which was like in the beginning when him and Dayron kept going back and forth to Long Island. I'm like, I understand, you know, for conditioning purposes, but I think that these guys can help us now. And we're we're seeing it like Dayron on the glass, Kessler as a defender, like he reminds me of and I, I'm I'm sure this is this might sound crazy to say so early on, but he really reminds me of Trevor Ariza when he was on the Lakers um, for those championship teams. Like he, I think that if he can play that role, we're gonna be in a in a great situation. And he's probably him and Cam right now. I would a thousand percent be comfortable with them being a part of the playoff rotation because he his his value as a wing who is physical, who is, he has amazing footwork, like amazing footwork for, for a kid who's, I understand he stayed at college for three years, but somebody who's getting his first NBA action, the way he moves around on the court and knows his assignments and makes spark plays and gets into the passing lanes. And even, even when he's being a post defender, he's not somebody that you're just going to go out there and bully. He might strip you going up for the ball or, he he has the mass to stand there and and hold his weight, so he's he's just been amazing to watch. And I, you never know with uh, Stephen, but hopefully he's done enough to have his spot in the rotation solidified, even when we're at full strength. Yeah, I think in the absence of Kevin Durant, the the value that Kess provides is exponential. He has been. Super in, in, in so many ways. His three-point shooting, it was a little bit off against San Antonio, but three of seven tonight, including like just, he's just, a, a, he's got such a quick trigger, which I love about it. He has no fear. And like he opened the game with a three. I'm just like, man, he, and I, he's meant, we always talk about his mechanics and I, going past his mechanics, it's more the fluidity and speed that he shoots these threes. It's just like, it's hard to defend for it, you know, whereas, what we saw of him at Pepperdue, I think, is the name of the college that he used to go to. It was just easier to guard him as a as a shooter and as a general player. But, you know, that midi, like you alluded to, Nick, tonight, I was surprised about it against San Antonio, but he hit that with ease. It seems to me that around that sort of free-throw line range is where he looks quite comfortable. You know, I think around the rim is where he can improve. But I'm also really impressed by his rebounding. You know, he's a heck of an athlete, and he's quite strong for a, a guy that is in his infancy of his NBA career. But he gets up there for those boards, you know, those defensive boards. And I think that he's going to be a, a real contributor. And at pick 44, two-way contract, you know, Sean Marks, where Kyrie is a wizard, then Sean Marks, I guess, must be Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like you guys are mentioning Kess is the guy I feel the most comfortable with being in the rotation long term Like Steve Nash is going to probably commit to. He's gotten over almost 30 minutes the last five games. And like he just has a skill set that fits so well for this team. And Jack, you mentioned like him having an easier time getting the release off. He's going from probably being one of the two or three or maybe even number one option on Pepperdine where on the Nets he's the fifth option he's the guy they're willing to give that shot to I even think that sometimes they could probably try to incorporate him more he's still kind of building that trust with James Harden you can tell Harden doesn't always hit him on the wide open three-point attempts but if he can get there and he's still getting the minutes it's going to be big because now the Nets can even at home if the whole Kyrie situation doesn't get settled they can still play lineups that are spaced when Kevin Durant's back and when Joe Harris is back so they'll have starting lineup that has space and they'll have a bench unit that has space which feels incredible because that's what we were used to last season and this year it's felt like far and in between 
Yeah, and I think that with his three-point shooting, you know, he is one of the best three-point shooting rookies going around right now. And he's ta- his volume is increasing. So I've got the numbers right in front of me right now. He's 42.6% on the season on 3.6 attempts. The only player above him is Chicago's Ayo Desunmu, and he's only taking 1.9. Under him is Herb Jones at 1.7. Quinton Grimes is taking the same amount, and he's at 39%. So he's one of only three rookies shooting above 40% from three. And both and both Io and Herb Jones are taking 1.9 and 1.7. You add both of those up, you get 3.6, which is exactly what Kessler Edwards has taken by himself. So, And he took seven tonight. You know, and I think he can continue to take five-plus game after game after game yeah. because even though he might have, like, I can't remember what his numbers were against San Antonio. It might have been two or seven or one of six or whatever. I still feel comfortable whenever the ball gets kicked out to him because... As DJ was alluding to earlier, if it's Kessler Edwards or Bruce Brown or James Johnson or DeAndre Bembry or Blake Griffin, I think we all know who we're picking out of that tr- at that um, quartet or quintet. Yeah, and uh, Lucas and I a couple podcasts ago talked about how teams are actually starting to give Kessler Edwards a little bit of respect too in terms of like they don't defend DeAndre Bembry. They don't defend Bruce Brown or Blake Griffin or James Johnson at the three-point line. They're actually sticking to Kessler a little bit, and that's just that little bit of space that makes life that much easier for James Harden. And that's where he, you know, off the drive, he can take a little bit of the mid-range yep. shot as well. So that's, it, it's it's promising. This is, you know, you don't normally see, you know, some promising, exciting rookies like Darren Sharp, Cam Thomas, Kessler Edwards contribute to a rotation to a championship contending team, let alone meaningfully uh, in certain ways. You know, Cam Thomas has had some big games. Darren Sharp's had some incredible rebounding games. And Kessler Edwards has been consistent as hell. So uh, this is really fun to watch and, and a fun little wrinkle to a, a superstar-laden team. Yeah, and he just needs to get reps because obviously there are still rookie mistakes. I think some of the fouling tonight you saw, there's just times where it's just like you're not going to get that block, just contest. And then also you mentioned the finishing inside. It's weird because he's a really good athlete and he has some good physicality to him. You think that his finishing would be a little bit better. You know, tonight we didn't really see much of that issue. It was more in the previous matchups. But the more reps, the more experience with the NBA, you know, the better he's going to look. But, DJ, anybody else you want to talk about from tonight that stuck out in a positive way or anybody else that stuck out in a really negative way? Um, just last thing on the Kessler thing. Another thing that is is great, which is what I was talking about, that you're not getting from Bruce is in the San Antonio game, his shot wasn't falling, but he was still making an impact on the offense and defensively. He was still being a lockdown defender, even though his shot wasn't falling. So it's like, yeah, you may not see what he did in the box score, but if you're watching the game, you know that he was part of the reason that we were able to, to hold those guys down. Um, in terms of of other other performances, um, I kind of feel bad for for James Johnson tonight uh, because this uh, this guy who has courtside tickets for free that we're calling a head coach um, put him in a situation where he literally couldn't win because most you know most bigs or or forwards in the league can't win against Cat and he's not really a big he's he's six eight. He's past his prime, slower. Um, so I, I, I wanted to, you know, extend my condolences to probably his chest because, you know, Cat was just treating him like a child when he was in the post. Um, and we we did touch on the Cam thing, but I, I'm a thousand percent behind giving Cam all of Bruce's minutes because. One of the knocks on Cam was, you know, his decision-making, but they really talked about his defense. And as an on-ball defender, 
Cam has been doing an excellent job, in my opinion. Like, he misses his assignment sometimes where he's in he's in help or, you know, working on a switch or something. But in terms of guarding his man when he has the ball, that man does a great job at shadowing people. And he's he's as strong, if not stronger, than Bruce is and provides a lot more offensively. So I, I hope we get to the point where that will happen. But... Again, I can't be too optimistic about rotational decisions with uh, the guy that's at the helm. <laughs> yeah, I think to piggyback on uh, DJ, what DJ said about Cam Thomas, in the first quarter, he made Kyrie made a kick-out pass to him in the corner, and you know he got closed out on, and he made the, the sort of drive and took that mid-range shot. It's, he's just got such a gorgeous mid-range shot. Um, hopefully, he can get to the line a little bit more because that's where you know he is incredible. And we saw also you know at summer league in that Long Island, you know he is legitimately a three-level scorer. But what he's doing to assimilate and, and fit within this team, you know, is is incredibly difficult for like you sort of uh, talked about a little bit with Kesnick. You know, the, what he's doing right now is is pretty pretty important. And I also do think that the cutting in general from some of these young guys, and obviously Dayron Sharp, he's he's screening and he's rolling. Those little intangible things, I think, are really important because Kyrie was making some nice passes to Kessler Edwards and Patty Mills on cuts. That sort of energy and movement, uh, I think we talked about sort of, you know, negativity, sort of breeding negativity. Sometimes energy and movement, you know, breeds more movement and energy and it makes you harder to defend as a team. And while the first, you know, half, first quarter or whatever, the Nets were, you know, a a bit of a sieve defensively, they were also scoring like crazy themselves. And it reminded me of last year's teams where it was just like, yeah, against the Clippers is 142 to 137. But the Nets are a, a great offensive team. And they're a great offensive team when they have diversity to the way they play. It's not just half-court offense, you know, hard and do his thing, pick and roll. It's body movement. It's transition. It's fast break. Get some boards, you know, early three-pointers, pull-up threes, all this sort of thing. And we got, you know, probably a great array of that, you know, in the San Antonio game, which is why it was such a fun watch, whereas we probably got it in the first quarter and in glimpses of the third and fourth, but it wasn't enough to sustain, you know, a quality performance, let alone a win. Yeah, there just wasn't that real synergy throughout the game offensively. And like you said, when you're just moving from an offensive perspective, even off ball, like you're occupying the defender. And sometimes the Nets can just be really stagnant and just not be doing much. And Cam just gives also somebody who can do something when you throw the ball to him. You know, a lot of these times, like he's not taking the three when he's getting that catch and shoot opportunity, but he's eating that closeout up and he's getting to a spot on the floor where he can hit his mid-range shot. So you know, Cam's doing his thing, and I think defensively, like DJ mentioned, he's been better than expected. You know, he's not an elite defender by any standard, but he's doing a better job than what I would have thought if you asked me in the offseason. You know, that would have been the reason that he wasn't getting minutes was because of his defense was so bad. And, yeah, there's still rookie mistakes mixed in there, but he's doing well enough for what he provides offensively. But, Jack, anybody else in your eyes you want to touch on, you know, bad or good? No, I think that everything that DJ's hit the, the nail on the head there, I've got... I think I've run out of Harry Potter references. I think we might end this one before. You know, I'll, I'll go rewatch Prisoner of Azkaban. You know, just getting back from the UK, I've been watching a lot of Harry Potter. So, no, but as much as tonight was frustrating as hell, I did have a lot of fun talking about it with DJ and you, Nick. And so it's always, you know, I'm glad that we have this platform to be able to just let it out, you know, air our grievances, Seinfeld style, like it's um, Festivus. But yeah, this is. Hopefully the Nets can bounce back in and what is a, a little bit of a tough stretch. You know, the schedule makers have not been kind. I mean, COVID hasn't really been kind, to be fair. But 
this is going to be tough heading up, and hopefully we get a, a W against uh, the Fakers. <laughs> the Fakers. I mean, it's also crazy is that like, you just think about the team going home and you're going to be losing a superstar player. And obviously, and the Nets play poorly at home. They have a bad home record for a championship-level team. So just it's like usually you're excited to get back home and you're going to go on a win streak, a homestand, and it's kind of the opposite for Nets fans. But like you said, this was great. DJ, pleasure having you on. Tell the people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find you know your spaces and your social media stuff. Yeah. Um. So my at is King DJ underscore five two nine seven. Uh. We usually host the post game spaces every game. Um. Excluding this one. Hopefully I can come back. <laughs> Hopefully I can come back. It was it was dope talking to you guys. Um. If you if you would like to to have me on again, if I'll be welcome back. Um. I it was it was really hard to keep it clean, but I think I did my best. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm you're usually gonna see me causing trouble in the timeline, but I'm a I'm a nice person, and I think I know a little bit about basketball. So damn straight, sure follow you, boy. And uh, Nets Republic, we we got a bunch of content coming out soon, so make sure you follow us on all the socials too. Like I said, a pleasure having DJ on. Always a pleasure talking hoops with Jack. Big thanks everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com